it's never been more competitive than it has now, but I don't think that should get anyone down. It just puts an emphasis on the importance of having the right team, investing in the right tools, and actually having a strategy. Welcome to Aptica Talks podcast. In each episode, we discuss hot topics of mobile app market with renowned experts. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Aptica Talks podcast this week. Today, we are having with us Mark Berman, VP Commercial from Ulu. Hi, Mark. How are you today? Good. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. So as Ulu is a new product, relatively new product in the market, I'm particularly interested in solutions you're offering. Just before we start with our primary topic, uh, let's talk a bit about you, your career, your projects you're currently working on and solutions that Ulu has right now. Yeah, sure. So as I say, my name is Mark Behrman. I'm VP of Commercial for Ulo, a smart monitoring platform designed specifically for uh, monetization and growth teams, at, uh, app application and game developers. So I guess a little bit about my history. So I've been in the mobile in-app space for the last 10 years, um, working at companies like Unity. I was in charge of their uh, account management team, so a lot of their existing customers. Uh, most recently, I was at Mopub leading business development for their mediation platform. So very much focused on the gaming, monetization and UA side. Obviously, my most recent role, I joined Ulo back in oh start of last year. And again, have been very focused on the gaming market as that's where a big chunk of my expertise is. And for Ulo, we've been a company, I'd say since uh, 2020 and focused on, uh, I'd say traditionally on the monetization use case. So for the last few years, monetization was a big part of our focus. I think to your comment, as a relatively new product, we released our user acquisition monitoring platform a few months ago. And obviously we're scaling that up and have had, I'd say really good adoption across our customers. Um, you talked a little bit about projects. Obviously, as a data company, we're always looking to improve the use cases and problems that we're solving for our customers. But we're also starting to provide more insights and competitive analysis for our customers so that they can understand how they're performing against the market and we can help them optimize and improve their results, whether that's the product or game itself, their UA strategy or monetization kind of health and setup. So currently you are developing two directions, UA and monetization at the same time. So great, that's why in this episode Aptica talks about combined trends in UA and monetization. Uh, and uh, I would like to start with UA as it's relatively new. So let's briefly expand on the trends uh, we are witnessing in the market uh, from the UA perspective. And uh, more particularly, uh, I would like to ask uh, about publishers, how they feel now in the market considering this tough competition uh, mm. and how to optimize the share of voice how to get uh, a bigger uh, share a bigger piece of pie of mm. this market so what to do yeah i mean i think we could probably talk on this topic for the whole web <laughs> so yeah i think everyone is trying to i think everyone's looking for the crystal ball to work out exactly what makes sense 
But I guess I'll take a few seconds to comment on what we're seeing, maybe to give some background context for the audience. So, you know, I think there's been a lot of challenges in the last, you know, 12 plus months. We saw coming, coming out of COVID and lockdowns all around the world, a regression to the mean. So we saw that increase in user activity start to normalize quite significantly which just meant that there was a reduction in addressable users that were really engaging on mobile platforms. So that compressed the sort of volumes that a lot of advertisers were able to achieve. At the same time, Apple disrupted the industry quite significantly with obviously a bunch of privacy changes. I mean, I'd say it's great to see a big uh, such a significant player in the market taking a consumer a consumer first stance on privacy and trying to help users control their privacy, but it has meant it's much more complicated and in many cases less profitable to buy on iOS because it's harder to target those higher value customers. So what we have seen is a, a lot of companies have been competing a bit more aggressively on Google Play. So focusing on Android stores and neglecting iOS to some degree. Now, in terms of trends, obviously privacy is quite important. It's very likely that we're going to see Google, you know, they've got their privacy sandbox and also other, you know, potential changes they're going to make. Maybe not to have parity with what Apple are doing, but at least to address that, you know, real privacy need in market for their users. So there probably is some increased complexity coming from Android, um, hopefully uh, not as dramatic as what we've seen with Apple. But it does mean it, it, there's pressure is being put on all these different places. So I think what we're seeing in terms of like, trends, or at least of where advertisers are spending more time, or at least mind share, is you know, new platforms or platforms that are growing. Obviously, TikTok is a well-established player, but it is hard to operate on their ads business. Not necessarily for everyone, but TikTok as a platform, you know, you need to be uploading 25 new creatives very regularly to try and, like, leverage some of that virality. So a lot of advertisers are trying to work out their strategy for platforms like TikTok and to be able to touch those users and ultimately access them. I think, interestingly, what we're seeing from some of the bigger players in the market is consolidation as a, an effective user acquisition strategy. So if you look at Take-Two, obviously Take-Two owns Zynga, Social Point, um, you know, the list is too long to go through on the call. And then obviously underneath Zynga, they bought Rolex, Rolex bought Popcorn, you know, all these studios are disappearing in a way and potentially because it's a very easy way to buy users and revenue overnight. Yeah, and there were some talks, if I'm not mistaken, between Rovio and Platica about uh, some takeover, but I believe that uh, they haven't sealed the deal, but still there were some movements about consolidation yes. and... So I think I saw uh, an article from Pocket Gamer or someone like that in the last week that says the deal's probably not going to happen. But yeah, that's pretty indicative, right? So Playticker bought seriously, like the Finnish studio, which a bit of bad PR there, but ultimately that's rolled into Playticker. They bought Super Treat and a bunch of other different studios. So on a smaller scale, Playticker have been 
playing a very similar strategy, which is if, you know, let's take the popcorn example. So I say popcorn is um, a lot of people miscategorize them as hyper casual. I'd say they're bleeding more into hybrid casual and have been doing it for a long time before it's become a more trendy buzzword. But it was a type of game and dimension that maybe Rolic wasn't as fortified in not something that Zynga had focused on. So in the current market, do you spend a lot of money trying to build a studio and learn the expertise to enter a new segment or a new type of gaming, or do you just buy the studio? <laughs> it's not... Yeah, it's, it's easier. Not, yeah, it's not a luxury that everyone can afford, but I think we're going to see that trend. I think it will slow down a little bit now. Um, I think, again, the context on that the M&A market has obviously dropped off quite significantly because of just economical market pressures, right? A lot of companies are under pressure to be profitable. There are a lot of layoffs happening at big studios, big technology companies, as we've all seen. So that's definitely slowed down, but I don't think it will stop. And maybe as the economy recovers uh, over the next few years, that acquisition trend will probably pick back up um whether it's a good long-term strategy i don't know um you know because for example voodoo uh, very much considered the leader in hyper casual have been pretty vocal in the last you know six months that hyper casual is on its way out they're shifting to hybrid casual with mob control being a successful example um if you bought voodoo to become the leader in hyper casual you'd now be like it would be a risk right that you already seen that business method has been displaced and i do think inherently gaming changes it's a bit like uh, organic virality trends are evolving all of the time and i think it's um a diversified business is key though so i think this acquisition strategy really plays into diversification for these big studios that could potentially become less relevant. Yes, and agile channel strategy, I guess, as well, just to try yeah. several channels, as you've mentioned. Uh, apart from iOS and Google, we have TikTok, we have influence marketing, we have cross-platform, uh, I guess, yeah. uh, strategies, just to put some ads uh, within your existing titles. But here, again, it's quite tricky not to lose your attention. Uh, your attention level, but still, yeah. and also while you were talking, I had in mind uh, one thought uh, about Platica again and uh, about these market trends. Uh, I also saw in some articles that uh, Platica stopped uh, developing and launching new titles and they put focus on um, high growth potential studios. So, again, their focus now is on mm. buying new yeah. studios. Uh, rather than on creating uh, their own titles. Of course, Vuga and Playtico, maybe they're analyzing some games, but yeah. they won't invest a lot uh, in new games. And it's, uh, I guess, a big trend now. That And you had this phrase while we were discussing the, the episode, growth over profit is dying, or something like that. I don't know yeah. whether it's applicable here, so I didn't quite understand what you meant by that. Uh, maybe uh, you could expand on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I, I think that as an overarching theme, you can kind of expand that a few ways. But if we take the hyper-casual example, right, it was obviously the hyper-casual is a business model. It's not necessarily a game type. It's about obviously retaining users for a period of time, showing them enough ads for that to be profitable, given that you buy them cheap enough to do so. Now, that model relies on scale. Right? So you're making a very fractional profit on every user, but you're buying millions of them. Now, in that hyper-casual competition, there obviously some, some companies are top of the charts all the time, some lower down. And it's not necessarily just based on the game being better or the monetization being better. Some companies are willing to take less profit at higher scale because they can afford to buy that scale. You know, there are cases where some companies are willing to break even or lose some money on projects for a period of time to get to certain positions in the store or a certain amount of success. These are, and that's just not, not just hyper casual, this applies to all segments that every company makes a decision how profitable or how not profitable they are willing to be, right? So just on an economic perspective, what is the minimum margin I want to make on every user that comes into my environment? That's generally a signal of an immature market where companies, it's, it's very subjective, that over time, what you should see is relatively consistent low margins across the board, or at least a pretty static margin. What we're seeing is an industry coming to maturity where companies can't afford to burn cash to, for vanity metrics, you know, to be hyper successful in terms of downloads. So everyone's looking a lot more like at profitability, a lot more in the short term. You know, there's a lot of market uncertainty. So we're definitely seeing less and less companies competing in hyper casual. Even for hybrid casual, a lot more companies or there's a lot more conservatism when like launching and scaling products that it's actually paying back in terms of true profit. So uh, although it is quite general, we're definitely seeing a maturing with how companies look at growth and monetization. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we just get back a bit uh, to the um, point of the market, I mean, the, com uh, the competition, the competition is tough and we have oversaturation of the market. Uh, what's the place for startups then? So, because we have these huge players like uh, Playtica, uh, Voodoo that we were talking about, but still uh, in Aptica we see new releases uh, every week, uh, every day by publishers, uh, like by freshmen as we call yeah. them. So it's just a new publisher or uh, some companies that uh, are doing self-publishing. Still they exist, they invest in their titles and their games and they're not afraid of this competition. I don't know whether uh, it's a mature position or not, so what's your stance on that? Well, it's definitely harder. So when you look at the number, like the companies that are still releasing games and competing, there is a slight opportunity that there's been a market correction. So a lot of companies are moving away, right? And that panic does mean that there could be a bit more of an opportunity than maybe there was three or six months ago. There will be a subsection of those where it's just inexperience and immaturity to the specific space. So they're willing to risk some money to learn how to be successful, right? So 
a lot of these companies over the next three to six months will go on a journey where they work out if they can do something unique that allows them, you know, to be profitable in this new reality. But it's just very difficult for startups now. And that's not just gaming. I mean, technology in general is there's never been more companies, you know, offering so many nuanced solutions or approaches to a problem. So in gaming, there's not many ideas that haven't been had, you know, unless there's a paradigm shift, obviously web free, let's say, is still people are still trying to work out what that means and exactly what it means to be successful in that environment. So there are paradigm shifts where maybe you can come up with something really new and compelling, but within the current kind of, uh, call it vertical of mobile gaming, traditional gaming is like you're kind of reskinning things that have been done, you know, evolving ideas that already exist. It's much harder to be different or unique than it has been in the past. Similarly, you know, in the technology space, there's about a million and one companies that utilize chat GPT for some purpose, right? So to create... Yeah, you know, mid-journey, like there's lots of great use cases, like designing characters, um, like visual, graphical content. There are some really good ones. But there's there's a lot, you know, creating cooking recipes and, you know, business presentations. There's a million of them. So to be differentiated in that space is quite difficult without significant investment. Because there are some ideas that are, of course, everyone agrees it would be great if you could solve this problem. Most of those mean there's a high cost of entry, very high cost to get things going. So I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say it's the most exciting time to consider starting a startup, but it's never been easy. I think the last, you know, few years has been a bit inflated with how easy it might be to enter and get some success. So to me, it's a bit of a normalization, but I think definitely the companies that will be successful that are starting now are ones that are lean, you know, relatively conservative and take a data first approach to what they invest their time in. Like the same rules still apply. You need to iterate quickly and cut the project if the data's not uh, like telling a promising story very early. It's a bit discouraging for those who are listening to us. I guess maybe some small game studios just listening to get some insights or maybe some recommendations and we're like, okay, so it's not the best time. Well, I'd say like (laughs) reality is not always like positive with flowers on top, but at the same time, companies that have expertise in making games, you know, if they can, if they can make it work with the more casual end of the spectrum, great, but definitely hybrid casual has proven that it's here to stay for a long time like finding creating higher value uh, let's say higher value games higher production value a stronger economy so you know building some reason to spend money to watch ads and a more balanced approach to monetization definitely works so if i was a founder of a game like a startup game studio now there's plenty of time to pivot into areas that have success. If you can be successful in hypercasual, great. I'd say if you can be, if you can adjust business and become slightly more hybrid casual and be successful, 
also great. It's just, I think, being aware of the, the reality of the difficulties based on your segment and being prepared to adjust strategy if it doesn't work. I think the days of releasing a project of pure joy, like, you know, it used to be you could come up with an idea that you loved and you could push it. Now I think your opinion is less relevant because the data re really tells the true story. There's a lot of pressure on actual performance versus like your personal opinion on what you think would make a great game which you know depends how you want to run your business maybe that's a little bit um depressing for you if you're someone who really loves games i think that mindset still exists in the very iap first world you know the far less casual end of the spectrum so you just need to align your focus segment on what your motivations for making games is Yes, the environment is quite hostile, but still there is this place, I guess, a niche that could be taken and uh, I guess some studios could be successful. Yeah, anyways, I mean, if the approach is right, I would say as one last comment, like market maturation, unfortunately, it does make um, less dynamic and maybe slightly more hostile environments because there's things have been tried, tested, there's processes. If you look at the finance market, right, obviously been around longer, standardized, very regulated, it's harder to disrupt, you know, companies work in a certain way. And to some degree, you need a certain stability with how things operate. So it increases transparency, efficiency. So I do think that the current process will lead us to an interesting place. But the good thing about gaming, there's always going to be a creative element. And I think the companies that will succeed are always ones that are looking for something new and different to do. So there's no reason to give up on your passion <laughs> as a result of my comments. It's definitely just the, the business model behind. There's a lot of pressure on making sure that works alongside making great games. Yes, so we support. So it's not like we are sounding a bit discouraging now. Just we support no, no, no. ideas. I, I make I make my living kind of supporting game studios in making great content. So I'm I'm very passionate about mobile gaming. Just definitely the growth and monetization side is evolving quite a lot. Um, okay, so uh, also while talking, uh, you mentioned diversification part. So and we can apply that um, this term not only to UA strategy, but also to monetization strategies. So advertisers and publishers, so they're trying to diversify uh, not only their channels, I mean, of user acquisition, but uh, also the revenue channels, how to get the revenue. And here we uh, have several also options. Mm -hmm. And there were, and still there are a lot of talks about uh, in-app, purchase or in-app adver advertisement, what to choose, where to put a, big, uh, a bigger share, what is more profitable, uh, what's your expertise, so what do you see based maybe on your client's case, mm -hmm. so what to choose, uh, subscription, freemium model, cross-portfolio or IAP or IAA, yeah. so what to do. Yeah. Obviously, your, your starting point or where you are right now is quite important to what your options are. Um, but definitely from seeing people go from more casual to like, so more IAA focused to blended or moving towards IAP. Obviously, a lot of companies are learning that expertise about how to 
how to create value in the economy to best place items for conversion and just generally learning some of what the, the middle or the more casual game, oh sorry, the less casual games already know, which is how to like monetize effectively with IAP. So I think that's just a learning path you have to go on. I don't think there is, obviously you can design games around the monetization mechanic. So it will definitely involve some new elements for studios to look at, which is, you know, to some degree, you can put ads in most games, right? Of course, you can customize them and design them to be a more hospitable environment for ads. But generally, if you want to, you can stick ads in most things with relatively small adjustments. IAP is definitely not the same situation. Like it, it definitely requires a lot more thoughtfulness that goes into it. So the pre-design before you sort of launch needs a lot more considerations. I think, but to speak about your question, maybe a bit more about our opinions around like diversification, there's a few things that I think are happening, which is subscription is definitely becoming a more common mechanism that companies try to utilize. And I definitely think it makes, makes some sense, right? Because if you look at the SaaS market, a lot of these companies have traditionally had high accelerators on their value based on recurring revenue because it's very predictable, right? It's like, okay, you have a thousand customers that are making you $20 a month, like take a Netflix example. Like, of course, subscription revenue is great for predicting your profit compared to IAP where you kind of predict what purchases should happen, right? You need to be very sophisticated. Whereas with, with subscription is like, okay, a thousand new people sign up to the subscription every day. That on average, they stay for 35 days and then they stop subscribing. It's very easy to sort of take those, you know, macro level numbers and build predictions. <clears throat> so the motivation for subscription is very clear. How to implement that is obviously a learning curve that companies are going through now, which is how do you create like, because IAP, you have to create a value in your uh, environment or economy where people want to spend money. With subscription, they obviously need to spend money, but you, it's, it's kind of anchored to the predicate that you need them to come back all of the time, right? So if you're paying, uh, let's use the example of Netflix, if you're paying $10 a month for Netflix, the reason you're paying is not because the one time off you're going to use Netflix. It's because you're probably going to use it two or three times a week to binge watch some TV program, right? You're, you're getting some ongoing value. So de designing an economy around longer term value it can be challenging, you know, because most games are free, you know. So what's the what are you trying to add into that environment that allows you to charge the money and in the longer term? So I think that's a really exciting area. You know, a lot of companies are playing with that. I think it's more common in non-gaming apps at the moment because it's quite easy to see if you've got, you know, a shopping app where you get unlimited free delivery or a dating app where you get premium features. I think like Tinder and a few of the others use like some subscription features, coloring apps, language learning apps, you know, something where it's related to your personal development, education, whatever it may be, I think it's much easier to, to, to sort of show the value because these industries or these verticals haven't traditionally given anything away for free or not so much. 
in the context of gaming, because there is this free-to-play as the common like dominating business model, it's a harder barrier to get over. So I don't think it's just about creating the value. It's about trying to get consumers willing to part ways. And I think there are some companies that are doing it well. The ones that probably see easier success are the ones that already have strong IAP revenues, right? Because if you're paying for regular purchases and I can offer you a subscription that gives you kind of a regular value that you might pay for, then it's a no-brainer and it gets you kind of locked in. Not every game has those mechanics, right? It's uh, definitely something that needs to be factored in about how do you do it. Because I've seen some examples with colouring apps, right? So these colour-by-numbers apps where you touch the squares or the shapes and it colours them in. Very popular, people spend a lot of time, very popular to monetize with ads. And then what's your subscription? Obviously you can't offer remove ads as a subscription, um, but maybe you have some premium paintings that are offered by artists once a month, right? Some uh, very exclusive content where you get those. So you get a certain amount new every month that you can color and you throttle the free experience. These are all considerations that need to be made, but I definitely think we're going to see subscriptions and the hybrid casual gaming segment interact somehow, you know, to make it, um, to kind of bring those two mechanisms together, I think is valuable because hybrid casual is a higher production value and people play for longer and that inherently lends itself to subscriptions, I think. Sorry, go on. Um, perhaps we will start with premium model. So you have some pictures, but you need to just pay a bit amount of money for these, for example, pictures by artists, uh, and you will get uh, this option, you will get this feature, So and maybe it will evolve in the future. Yes, I think so, because I think like originally when Apple, obviously when the App Store was invented or released, <laughs> um, you know, some initial paid games that were higher quality, and then there were light versions, if you remember, where it was like, oh yeah, play this, and then there was an in-app purchase and you could unlock the pro version, which would have all the levels. Obviously, it didn't stay around as a business model because I think people were reluctant to pay. The conversion rates were low. But I think now, because you've got this, you know, that upsell can be a subscription where it's like, hey, this is what you would get every month if you're paying, you know, $5 or whatever it is. I think people are a lot more open because firstly they're comfortable with microtransactions or paying on mobile. You know, when the App Store was released, I think people were still unsure about like putting in credit card details and paying for things, you know. The world's changed a little bit since then. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that we'll see it happen. I think more and more companies are trying to crack this nut. And among your clients, your current clients, uh, do you see these trends uh, to be on the rise? I mean, what strategies uh, your clients are taking now, how they diversify their channels for user acquisition, how, uh, what strategy they adhere in terms of monetization? Maybe you have yep. some interesting insights to share. Yeah, so I would say the subscription evolution is not happening like super quickly compared to other things because it's a bit more of a paradigm shift. You're moving from one way of doing things to something very different, which is very product-led as well, right? It requires a lot of adaptation. So what we're, we work a lot with the monetization and growth teams directly, which don't necessarily have 
the autonomy for some of those decisions. They're part of the conversation. So what we're seeing around diversification and what they're doing, you know, more directly within today's kind of way of doing things is, so firstly, everyone's always trying to optimize their ad stack, making sure that they have the best possible setup, you know, that they haven't got issues, that they're using the right prices with different networks, they're working with the right partners, which is where we can help them, right? So we provide them a lot of data to make sure they have the best setup possible. What we're seeing as a more common trend right now is introduction of like new, uh, call it ad formats or monetization formats that are outside of the current flow. So there's a few examples of this. There's obviously in-game ads, whether that's in-game native ads, you know, ads that are placed in the spatial environment. Um, gameplay yes. yeah exactly so you often see like a billboard you know and everything can be parallaxed so it fits within the dimensions of the game that's becoming more um popular i think there's a good example with do dreams which is a finnish studio that has a uh p2p kind of head off racing game you kind of have to crash your opponent off the course they have these banner ads uh, in the game, which is this native style. And it adds an additional revenue stream that doesn't affect retention or the user experience. So it's um, really welcome revenue. Doesn't work for every game, but it's uh, becoming more common. I'd say also uh, audio ads are becoming like a, I'd say not a hot button topic, but they're at the inflection point of becoming something serious. So there's a few different companies that are offering this. Um, for example, there's a company called Odeo, which is an Israeli-based network that are, I guess, more focused on gaming, that are offering these audio ads. Um, effectively, like it's not just like an audio ad that would play, but there might be some, like it could be rewarded or it could be overlaid on a banner. Because a lot of the time, if you're playing a more casual experience, you could be listening to music. You know, you're not super invested in listening to the sound effects of the game always. So actually, when the person's doing a very simple one-tap game, an audio ad could be a good way to capture that user's attention. So we're definitely seeing that as something that's being explored more and more. And then there are a few other sort of more alternative solutions, like out-of-play monetization which is where um, there's a company called Kindred for Business, um, UK-based company, yeah. So they offer like an extension um, that the user would install in their browser that rewards them in-game for shopping across like a selection of e-commerce sites. So it's kind of like an affiliate model, but it rewards longer player engagement. So if you're someone who has um, like longer shelf life products, so think like Sudoku word searches, like the stuff that Triple Dot make, like games where people play for an hour and they keep it on their phone forever. You know, that could potentially be a monetization solution where you would um, be rewarded because your users have uh, keep coming back to your environment and they've enabled this extension. So if they shop at Adidas and they get maybe 10% off their shop, but they also get a certain amount of coins in app for that transaction. It's like a win-win. You know, it brings some uh, business to the retailer. It brings some discount to the user and some potential in-game currency for them, as well as value for the publisher. So 
I would say there's a mix of all these things happening and every studio is trying to work out what makes sense for their environments, you know, based on the disruption or impact the user experience. But it's quite, it's quite exciting. It's the first time in a while that there's something new that people are getting excited about. Well, we've discussed a lot of trends <laughs> just in regards to UA and monetization. So if there are any other trends that we haven't mentioned and you would like to bring it, bring it up, so I guess we missed uh, Apple sideloading. It's yeah, something new, uh, and I guess it will, uh, it might drastically change the market. So, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, so it, it was kind of, I know we discussed it before we did the webinar as this, um, obviously, like for context, there's this conversation ongoing now where Apple could be effectively forced to allow other app stores onto their devices. Right. This is something, I think a very public case of this was Epic Games uh, had their like launcher for Android. So effectively you could install the game directly. And the reason why Epic would want this is they don't have to pay the commission to the app stores on any IAP purchase, um, like purchases. Because obviously like depending on the setup, you're effectively losing, you know, 10 to 20% of the actual transaction value going to the stores, which I understand feels like a bit of a monopoly because you don't have a choice, right? It has to go through their payment system. It's on their hardware. So it makes sense. It's very likely that Apple will be forced to allow this to happen on their platform as well, which creates a new, exciting and complicated opportunity. Um, for, for advertisers or for studios effectively because so firstly users that come to you directly are going to be much more profitable depending on how you get them to come to you directly because there's still a custom a cost of customer uh, oh, losing my words a cost of customer acquisition right so nothing happens for free you need to market to these people or sell to them somehow but it's also an interesting new channel because you can take, you can get a user to come directly to your installer, let's say, um, and effectively you'll be able to uh, monetize that user without ever having to pay a commission to a platform, which with the current pressure in the market on profitability and being able to operate at scale, that extra, you know, 10 to 20% could be a massive difference in your ability to compete. So it might not be an equal opportunity for everyone because if you're quite small as a studio, it's a, there's probably a big upfront cost of having your own like ability to install the app you know, directly with the consumer. And it's not just having the ability, you also need to find a way that you can like market around that make sure users understand it, blah 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 it can be challenging and costly but then you think about the take two scenario right where if you're take two you can position yourself as a premium destination for gaming across a bunch of different genres it could be very conceivable to have your own take two gaming center right where you can play all of these different products from Zynga, Social Point, Popcore, Rolic, completely free. 
ads free and you know because that maybe remove ads completely because they'd focus on that extra uplift from IAP not to say that I've got any indication that that's a strategy that they would have but the big players that have the resources could really find some ways of going direct to consumer which is the the first time that's really been possible at scale potentially so I wouldn't say it's a trend yet because first that decision needs to be made but then I think the implications are quite interesting you know there's even opportunities for someone to start a new app store effectively one of the other platforms so it's a exciting time to be alive yes and to toughen up the competition that is already quite difficult to manage Okay, so uh, I'm sure we will see new trends on the rise uh, in 2023 and 2024. So thank you very much for this discussion. For me, it was quite valuable as I've uh, gained uh, new perspectives, new visions on some points. Uh, so if you have anything to add to our listeners, just to mention something that we haven't discussed. So you're welcome. Yeah, no, I'd say just as a like small closing remark, because we kind of joked a little bit throughout, is when when I look at everything combined, I think it's there's a lot of opportunity be opportunity to be had. Of it's never been more competitive than it has now, but I don't think that should get anyone down. It's just puts an emphasis on the importance of having the right team, investing in the right tools and actually having a strategy. I think a luxury of just trying a bunch of stuff and seeing what would work um, is a, a luxury of yesterday. I think these days it's important, you know, whether companies work with, uh, you know, companies like you, like Aptica, to get data on what's actually working in the market with different advertisers, what are the creative strategies people are using, what are the platforms that are delivering the best results. I think, it's just important to partner with the right companies to make sure you're sanitizing your approach before you, you know, waste your limited investment that you have. So I think the message is it's very complicated out there now and, and speak to experts like us, speak to other game studios and just work out where the opportunities are. So with this positive and uh, inspiring statement, we are wrapping up uh, this episode. Thank you, Mark, for your time and for your insights. It's been really a pleasure. Uh, follow the site of Hulu to get more information on the solutions they are offering. It's a great tool. Uh, so we, yesterday we had a demo, so it was mind-blowing because it was difficult but insightful at the same time, so it was really great. And follow Aptica uh, for new episodes. Stay tuned, not to miss uh, the next ones with their, uh, more experts. Thank you, Mark. Cool, and thank you very much for having me. To find out more about Aptica and its products, please follow the website aptica.com. Do not miss the next episodes by following us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or any other major platforms. Thank you for listening.